All right, now, today we are continuing with the sixth part in our series on the letter to the Philippians. And if you missed any of the other previous messages, I encourage you to go to our website, LancasterFirst.com, and you can find them there on the media tab. All right, so, so far in this series, we've seen that these Philippians were a faithful group of followers of Jesus who loved the Word of God and experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, we saw that God wants our love to grow and abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then in verses 12 to 14, we saw that you can't chain up God. You can't chain up the activity of the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 15 to 26, we saw that Paul was able to deal well with a very difficult situation because for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was relying 100% on the Lord Jesus, not on what anyone else was doing or not doing. And then last week in chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, we saw that stuff happens. Whatever happens. And when whatever happens, God wants us to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we saw that God wants us to stand firm together, to be of one spirit and of one mind, to contend for or focus on the main mission, that is the faith of the gospel, even if it means that we sometimes have to suffer for Jesus or endure hardship. Okay, and that's where we left off last week. Now, today we're going to begin to look at the first few verses of chapter 2. And as we begin to look at these verses, the first thing that we need to realize is that though there's a chapter change, there is no change in thought. It's the same ideas that he's progressing with. And so here Paul is continuing with the same ideas that were in chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, particularly the ideas of standing firm together, of being in one spirit together, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, Paul wanted unity in the body of Christ so that they could focus on the primary mission, the ministry of the gospel. Because Here's what Paul knew. Discord and arguments and factions get the church off its mission, off of its primary reason for being. And when you look at the Corinthian church, you see that that's exactly what happened to them. I mean, they were divided about who the best preachers were. They had arguments about who had the most wisdom or the best gifts and who was the most intelligent and, and even they had lawsuits among them. And Paul says that they were completely defeated. Divisions make it impossible to stand and contend as one man for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul is commending them, commending these Philippian believers, is encouraging them to stand firm together as one with a focus on representing Jesus to their world. That was their mission, and that's our mission as well. And so now, in these verses, Paul is going to show us what that looks like in some very practical ways. So let's read a few verses here to get a sense of it, and then we'll come back and unpack it together. So we'll read all the way to verse 4, and then we'll come back and focus on verses 1 and 2. And it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right, would you bow in prayer with me over the Word of God? Dear Heavenly Father, please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. And give us faith to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's begin to unpack this together. All right, so beginning in chapter 2, verses 1, the first part of that verse says, if you have, all right, now pause there for just a second. Look at that little word, if. I mean, Paul is going to list here four things that we should have in our lives as believers in Jesus. And he says, if you have these things. Now, he's not really using this phrase in a literal way. He's not saying, you know, if you have them, then, then you should do these things. But, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have them. And if you don't have them, then this doesn't really apply to you. Know, that's not really what Paul is saying here. It's a figure of speech that strongly implies that you should have these Things. As a matter of fact, there are some interpreters that suggest that the phrase could be translated since you have these things or seeing that you have these things. And the idea is that since all of the things of chapter 1 are true, since you are God's holy people, right? since you share in the grace of God, since you have been united with Christ, uh, since for you to live is Christ, right? since you stand firm together and you all share in the same Holy Spirit, since your mission together is to stand for the faith of the gospel and represent Jesus to the world, right? since all that stuff from chapter 1 is true, then here are some things that should naturally follow from that. And he's going to share in verse 1, four motivations of the heart that the gospel should be producing in our lives. And then in verse 2, he's going to share four outward expressions that should result from these four motivations by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, so let's go on looking at it. Uh, verse 1, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, all right, so let's look at these motivations from verse 1 that should be driving us as Christians and especially as part of the body of Christ because of our relationship to the gospel. All right, the first is encouragement from being united with Christ. Encouragement from being united with Christ. Now, the Greek word here for encouragement is paraklesis. And it means to come alongside of you and to help you. It's the same root word as in John 14, 16, when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and be our comforter and our counselor. And the word there is paraclete. And it's more than someone who just comes along and comforts you when you're sad or comes along and pats you on the back and says, there, there, everything's going to be okay. And it's even more than someone who sits with you in a time of grief. I mean, it may be all of those things, but it's even more. It has the connotation of an advocate. It's someone who actively and passionately takes up your cause. Someone who stands by you when no one else will. Someone who will plead your cause even when you feel like you can't plead your cause for yourself. That's the encouragement that Paul is talking about here. It's kind of like paraclesis. The encouragement is the result of having a paraclete, an advocate. And so like, it's like when 
you're by yourself sometime and you're, you're in a desperate situation and uh, it looks hopeless and there's no one there to help you and all of a sudden someone comes along and begins to lift your spirits, begins to speak words of life to you, believes in you and encourages you, and, you know, and, and you get encouraged, right? Well, Paul is talking here about the paraclesis, the encouragement that comes from the active and passionate advocacy of Jesus in your life. The encouragement that comes from the active and passionate advocacy of the Holy Spirit in your life. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes along and gives us paraclesis encouragement. And it says it comes from being united with Christ. Now, what does that mean? I mean, to be united with Christ, what does that even mean? Well, you know, the Bible says that when a person comes to faith in Christ, when the person becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And it's described beautifully in a passage in Romans chapter 6. It says that we died with him. That is, when we come to faith in Christ, our sins are nailed to the cross with Jesus. Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. And we die to the old way of life that was dominated by sin. And we're united with Him in His resurrection. That is, we now have the new life of Christ. He says, behold, old things are passed away and everything has become new. And now Jesus lives His resurrection life through us. We're united with Him in His death and in his resurrection. And so the main idea here is that this incredible encouragement and advocacy that we have from being united with Christ should motivate us and drive us towards unity with the body of Christ, towards unity with other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, moving on. The second motivating force that should be present in our lives because of our connection to the gospel is comfort from his love. Comfort from his love. Now, the word comfort here is a similar in meaning to the word for encouragement, but the focus here is more on where this comfort is coming from. It's coming from his love. Now, this is a really, really deep kind of love. I mean, in the Bible, there are several Greek words that are translated by one word, love, um, in our English New Testament. So one of them is eros, and it means a physical kind of love. Another one is phileo, and it means a brotherly kind of love. It's a good love, a love that we should have. But the word that is used here is the word agapeo. Now, this word, uh, the way it was used in ancient secular Greek, it really didn't have a lot of meaning. It was kind of a nebulous word for love. But the New Testament writers picked it up, and they infused it with all kinds of intense meaning. It's a deep, all-consuming, sacrificial kind of love. It's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. And you can see it in verses like John 3.16 where it says, God so loved, agape, the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can see it in verses like 1 John 4.10 where it says, this is love, agape. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you can see it in verses like Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, where it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love, the agape of God that is in Christ Jesus. God loves us with an all-consuming, no-holds-bars, sacrificial kind of love. And the main idea, again, is that the comfort that comes from this self-sacrificing love of Jesus should motivate us towards unity in the body of Christ. Unity with followers of Jesus. All right, look at that verse one more time. It says, the third motivating force that should be present in our lives because of our connection with the gospel is fellowship with the Spirit. Or some have it as fellowship of the Spirit. It's it's the relationship, the fellowship we have with the Holy Spirit. And it's the fellowship among us that results from being in Christ together. From having the same Holy Spirit dwell in each one of us. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. The image here is like the image of of a village that shares a common well that everybody comes to drink from. And because of that, they grow in love and fellowship together. Well, likewise, because we all drink of the same Spirit, because we all participate in the same Holy Spirit, we develop love and fellowship with one another. And the word here for fellowship is really cool. It's koinonia. It's a very cool word. When we, you know, when we think of fellowship, we usually think in terms of a potluck supper, you know, or a handshake in the middle of a service. But the word here is much deeper than that. It has the idea of sharing life together. Sharing life together. It's why Paul could tell the Corinthians, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. If one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. Like, for example, last week, two of our members, TJ and Molly, were having a gender reveal party uh, for um, their baby that's coming. And, um, and why were so many of us tuned into that online and so excited about that? It's because of the koinonia, the fellowship, the sharing of life that we are participating in together. And once again here, the idea is that the fellowship that we have with the Holy Spirit and the fellowship we have with each other because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling should motivate us towards unity with the body of Christ, towards unity with other believers in Jesus. All right, now, the fourth motivating force that should be present in our lives because of our connection with the gospel is this. Tenderness and compassion. Tenderness. That is, sensitivity. Awareness of what other people are going through. Right? That's tenderness. It's the opposite of callousness. Kind of like this. I remember one time, a bunch of years ago, at another church I was at, at a, we were having a big event, and I was in, in charge of a lot of the things happening at this event. I, re- I remember walking in to a room that was filled with a lot of our administrative assistants, and I just kind of started um, talking about all of these things that needed to be done and who was going to do them. And about mid-sentence, I noticed that they were all looking up at me, and they had tears in their eyes and tears streaming down their faces. And in that moment, I realized that there was something important that had happened that I was unaware of. And in that moment, I realized that I needed a little bit more sensitivity. So I don't even remember what that issue was now, but I do remember that I stopped what I was doing and started paying attention to what was going on in their lives. Sensitivity, tenderness. You know, Jesus has tenderness. 
You know, it says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, tenderness. He knows what we're going through. And the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, produces tenderness in us. And then also it says compassion. Now, compassion is the action that follows tenderness. You know, after we're sensitive or touched by or aware of what someone else is going through, compassion is the action that helps. It's the hand that does something about it. You know, um, Jesus was compassionate. It says that when he saw the crowds, he was filled with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It says that when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, that he had compassion on them. It says in Mark 1 that Jesus had compassion on a man with leprosy. It says in Matthew 20 that Jesus had compassion on two blind men. And you know, I think that that is what's often overlooked in the miracles of Jesus. You know, everyone's so impressed with, with the blind man who's seeing and the lame man who's walking and the deaf man who's hearing that it can become easy to miss what was motivating Jesus. It can become easy to miss the compassion that's in his heart and in his eyes. Jesus is full of compassion. And again, the idea is that this tenderness and compassion that we have because of the gospel should motivate us towards unity and love for those in the body of Christ. Well, all right. So verse 1, four heart, four heart motivations that flow out of the gospel. Encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, fellowship with and of the Spirit, and tenderness and compassion. These are inward motivations of the heart. So, all right, let's begin to look at verse 2. All right, in verse 2, Paul is going to give us four corresponding outward expressions that should flow from these heart motivations. Let's look at it. Verse 2, he begins by saying, then make my joy complete. All right, now pause there for a second. How many of you have children? I don't know about you, but most of us like to have our children get along with each other. You know, I can remember when my children were young, nothing grieved me more than when they were arguing and fighting and bickering with each other. And, and, Nothing, nothing pleased me more than when they were getting along and loving each other and treating each other with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, you know, I think that God feels the same way about His children. You know, how many times does God exhort us and encourage us toward loving each other and uh, from the heart and practical ways? And how many times does God warn us against negative emotions towards one another? You know, and, uh, and I believe it brings joy to God's heart when he sees his children united and loving each other. So let's look at what that behavior looks like. Going on, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. All right, so the first outward expression that flows from these motivations of verse 1 is this, being like-minded. Some translations have it, being of the same mind. So what is this mind that we should have then? Well, you know, it's much more than just being agreeable or having similar tastes uh, in color and style, right? It goes much deeper than that. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul calls it the mind of Christ. That is, have the mind of Christ, the thoughts of Christ, right? Not our own ideas, not our own desires and purposes, but the ideas of Jesus, the mind of Christ. In Romans, he calls it the mind controlled by the Spirit. And he says, 
Those who live according to the spirit, uh, those who live according to the sinful nature, have their mind set on what the, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. And then later in Romans, he calls it the renewed mind, saying, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Corinthians, he calls it the mind that lives in peace, saying, be of one mind and live at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. In Hebrews 10, it's the mind that has had the new covenant written on it by God himself. Be like-minded. Have the mind of Christ, the mind controlled by the Spirit, the renewed mind, the mind that lives in peace, and the mind with the new covenant written on it. The motivations of verse 1 should move us to be like-minded. All right, then the second expression that flows from these motivations in verse 1 is this, having the same love. Having the same love. That is, have the same love that Jesus has. The agape love that Jesus has expressed towards you, we should express towards others. Jesus' love should flow into us and throw, flow out, out of us. The same way Jesus expressed his love in deed and in action, so take actions that show your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and the community around you. You know, and when we do talk about the love of Jesus, there is a real emphasis on loving actions. I mean, think about it for a minute. What if Jesus had decided to stay in heaven and say, you know, I'm just going to love you from here. I'm going to stay in heaven on my throne and feel all kinds of loving and warm feelings about you, but he didn't come and, and live among us and, and teach us, and he didn't die on the cross for our sins. Well, how would that help us? Jesus loved us in action. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so likewise for the believer, once you've been redeemed and experienced the great love and grace of the Lord Jesus, I mean, what good will it do You know, if I go off into a corner somewhere by myself and just start feeling warm, fuzzy, gushy thoughts you know, for all of you? I mean, that may be better than feeling negative thoughts, right? Like anger and malice or anything like that, right? But it really doesn't help you in any way. It doesn't rise to the level of having the same having the same love, expressing love the way Jesus does, by taking action. So the motivations of verse 1 should cause us to have and express that same love that Jesus has. All right, the third outward expression that flows from the motivations of verse 1 is being one in spirit. Being one in spirit. That is being united in spirit, harmonious in spirit. You know, and you can see this in Jesus' prayer for us at the Last Supper, where he says, you know, listen to what he says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see how connected the unity in the Spirit is connected with our ability to represent Jesus to 
the world. When we are one in Jesus, then the world will know. And so nothing destroys the testimony of the body of Christ like divisions and faction. Nothing destroys the ability of the body of Christ to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, like disharmony and disunity do over unimportant issues and issues that don't have any eternal consequence or issues that are more related to just personal likes and opinions. All right, Heart motivations described in verse 1 should result in outward expressions of love and unity. All right. The last outward expression that flows from motivation, the motivations of verse 1, is this, being one in purpose. That is, that we're all on the same mission, that we're all focused on the purposes of Jesus in the body of Christ. We're all focused on loving God and loving people. We're all focused on, on growing in relationship with God and with others. That we're focused on serving God and the community, that we're focused on the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. The heart motivations of verse 1 should motivate us to being one in purpose. All right, four heart motivations that flow out of the gospel, encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from His love, fellowship with and of the Spirit, tenderness and compassion, and these are the inward motivations. And then in verse 2, four outward expressions or behaviors that should flow from these motivations. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and being one in purpose. All right, now let's stop there for this week, and we'll pick it up again beginning next week in verse 3. But before we conclude this message, I want to give you an opportunity. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself ready to begin a life of faith in Jesus, ready to respond to the grace of God, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to lead us all in prayer, and I'd like you to follow me in this prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's not fire insurance or anything like that, but it's a prayer of repentance and faith that is a starting point for a life walked in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow in prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you and I confess that I can't save myself. I can never measure up to your standard. You're holy and I'm sinful. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, please be my Savior. Please be my Lord. And help me walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, I can tell you, if you have done that with faith in your heart, with all the authority of the Word of God, that God has done everything that you've asked him to do. The Bible says old things are passed away and everything has become new. Sins are washed away and forgiveness has come. And he wants you now to grow every day in your relationship with him. And so there's a few things I want to encourage you to do. First, get in the Bible every day, even if it's just for a few minutes. If you've never read the Bible before, start in the Gospel of Mark. And you'll be amazed at how God is speaking to you in ways that you could have never imagined before. And then secondly... Pray a little bit every day. God wants to hear from you, even if it's just for five or ten minutes when you first start. 
and then tell someone what you did. Maybe go to our website, LancasterFirst.com, and fill out a Connect card there and let us know what you did, or, or better yet, even just, just put it uh, in, in the chat feature and would love a chance to help you grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now, would you all bow with me as we close this prayer, this service in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone who's been here in this service. Give them your blessing, your peace, and everything good that comes from the Holy Spirit, for it's in the name of Jesus I pray.